I want you to go to Psalm 90, verse 12. I want to talk to you about timing. The Bible says, the way of a man is not in a man, nor is it in a man to direct his steps. Our times are in his hands. He makes everything beautiful in its time. There is an appointed time for everything, and there is a time for every event under heaven. The Bible teacher at my Bible school, I spoke to on my, from my office on my phone, the last conversation I really had with him, he said, Galatians 6, 9, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you'll reap if you faint not. Everybody say, in due time. I believe in timing. And it says here in Psalm 90, verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us to look at life in the value and the practicality of that value. Teach us to recognize the brevity of life, but the value of living. Teach us to utilize this resource of time. The great components of our lives are, number one, God and our relationship to him. Number two, the value of people is even greater than time because people will be out in eternity, which is beyond time. Time is more important than money, but we realize money and recognize it to be very important. It's how we pay our way through life in this monetary society. So we know those things are important, and much emphasis is on, you know, finances and investment and conservation and, you know, the right spending habits and so forth. But the Bible says, teach us to number our days that we may provide a heart of wisdom. It also says to make the most of your time for the days are evil. One translation says redeeming the time. I look at time as an opportunity for things to be redemptive, for things to be seized upon and, 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 and that, that, that we're to live it at with, like we're in church right now. Let's really enjoy church. We're in this moment right now. Let's celebrate it. Let's thank God we get to be here. You know, let's thank God. If you're single, thank God for your role in a single moment. If you're married, thank God you're married. Wherever you're at right now, in everything, give thanks. And, and count it all joy when you encounter various temptations, tests, and trials. Knowing that the trying of your faith will produce patience and produce endurance. And it's productive ultimately. And that God causes all things to work together for good. And that he's at work in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. I'm preaching now. But God is trying to teach us to number our days. Not a fatalistic thing like, well, I only have so many summers left and all that stuff. Don't get morbid. Live your life. Life is for living. Savor it. Celebrate it. Get on with it. Teach us to number our days. Teach us to value our time. Teach us to understand the vital resource of our moments. And I want to say this, so that we don't carry the crippling paralysis of regret and we don't carry the mind-numbing, destiny-blurring, fear-oriented elements of anxiety and, and anticipation of the other shoe dropping. We are required by God to walk by faith in this moment and not by sight. And I want to say this to some of us. Just because the morning and the afternoon have been ruined or forfeited or are gone or, or even have been good doesn't mean the rest of your life is ruined or bland or to be uh, mediocre. The next days are the best days. 
And I know this according to the word, and I'm not just trying to hyper-stimulate you with platitudes. I'm telling you by the word of God that the glory of the latter house will be greater than the former. And as wonderful as the story in Genesis 28 is that we've been studying on Sundays about Jacob going between Beersheba and Haran and then laying down on the ground and taking a stone for a pillow and the Lord speaking to him in the night because the sun had set and he had a, he had a ladder from heaven to earth that touched down right near him and angels were ascend, descending and ascending. And best of all, God was there. And he said, I'm with you, and the land you're laying on is going to be your land for your, you and your descendants. And he woke up and he said, man, God was in this place, and I didn't even know it. And it's a faith thing, isn't it? And that was God's faithfulness to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and now Israel. And we can see since 1948 in our own lives the amazing example of the Lord fulfilling his promises. And those of you who lived and are old enough to have lived through World War II, uh, and but us of history, we see the harshness and the evil that attacked the Jewish people, but then how they dispersed, and then how now God moved on our Missouri president, Harry Truman, who got the passion to support the nation. And at that moment in 1948, the first leader uh, other than the Israel people to stand. And now we see in our lifetime the culmination of these things. This little dream that happened in way back when in Genesis. And then by that, we number our days. Teach us to number our days. That God is our God. He is faithful to a thousand generations. And as our days are, it says in Deuteronomy, so shall our strength be. In a day of depletion, God provides completion for his people. In a day of trouble, God causes us to stand. That's why we use our faith. That's why while Nathan is painting and, and Tracy is raising the kids and, and you're working and you're serving, all the while you've got this worshipful tune in your heart. A merry heart does good like a medicine. And as you're watching the news and as you're processing things and you're not in denial and you realize the way things are going, yet, God, we recognize that we're to lift up our eyes and lift up our hearts and our hands because our redemption draws nigh. And God, you're coming, because you're coming back to a glorious church without spot or blemish, because you're going to, when you come back, you're going to find faith on the earth, then we go into this scripture and we see God teach us to number our days. This is the psalmist asking God himself, would you please help me to be a good steward of my time? The past is past. Don't let any of it really define you. I mean, it, let the word of God and the new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I don't know how you started if you had a silver spoon or you had a plastic fork, spork in your mouth. I don't know. I don't know how you started. You know, Paul had a pedigree. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a Roman citizen. He was a Benjamite Jew. He was elegant. He was probably a, a astute in law, certainly the religious law. He was very prominent in society. Well, Gideon, on the other hand, said that he was from the wrong side of the tracks and from the poor part of town and that his family was the least. He was the least in his father's house and his father's house was the least of the least. And yet, in spite of it, God kept calling him a valiant warrior. Consider your calling, brethren. It's full panorama. 
You may be the woman at the well having had five relationships. You may be prestigious Nicodemus or any of anybody in between. The point of the Bible is that he's no respecter of persons. He includes all, even breaks down the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every dialect, it says in the book of Daniel and Revelation, will be gathered around the throne of God. That's why we see this emphasis of the nations. We're to be a house of prayer for the nations we, as we live in the heartland here, we're to think big, we're to be creative, we're to, we're to facilitate and yield to God and flow with him. Teach us to number our days. Teach us, like it says in the Old Testament, of Issachar's race. They were famous as a people of sensitivity. And here's what they were described as in the Old Testament in a genealogy. And it described these different tribes and their warriors but then it talks about Issachar's race, which are the descendants of Issachar, who understood the times and what Israel should do. They understood the times. So they developed, apparently, a sensitivity to the voice of the Ruach Kadesh, the Holy Spirit. And they understood the Moedim, the Moed, that's the Hebrew word for times and seasons. Daniel was particularly sensitized to God's timing. And he wasn't in an ideal circumstance. He lived during the time of the Babylonian captivity, where due to Israel's sinfulness, things happened for 70 years where they were taken from point A and pulled in to what is now modern-day Iraq under a leader named Nebuchadnezzar for the start, and then Darius and a bunch of other people, and Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Do you remember those guys? They were, they were transferred out of their comfort zone and into an awkward, secular society that had humanism as its center, hedonism and pleasure orientation as its basis, harshness, violence, corruption, evil, idolatry, and yet they were uh, empowered by the Holy Spirit. They carried something that transcended the circumstances around them, Therefore, they were not conformed to the world, but they were transformed by the renewing of their minds. And not only that, because they made up their minds and they had a resolve that was from God, a grace from God, and had a deeply held conviction, and they held to that conviction, they didn't succumb to uh, blending. They didn't succumb to uh, assimilating. They were in it, but not of it, and they were effective. And Daniel had a particular gift for interpreting dreams. And they had the ma magicians, the root word is magi, and you've heard of them, they came to visit Jesus at Bethlehem at his birth. And these guys had a particularity with soothsaying and psychic stuff, and, and I think all the counterfeits of it that weren't emanating from God's spirit, but Daniel had the correct part and he was getting things from God. And he got things accurately. None of the others could figure it out. Daniel routinely could figure it out. Teach us to number our days, Lord. One of the things Daniel said is there's a God in heaven that reveals mysteries. And God is wanting us to seek after him, that we might know him and cultivate a sensitivity to him, 
teach us to number our days doesn't just mean, well, I've got this much more time probably. If I live to be 100 years old, that means I have this many summers. It, it doesn't mean that. It, what it means is deeper than that. It says, teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. If we're correct in our understanding of our times, we'll know what to do. We'll know how to pray. We'll know what to focus on. We'll know what to put our hand to and what to refrain from. We'll have a consistent clarification value renewal from God day by day, day by day. What's the best way to go? What's the best thing to do? It'll deepen our sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Did you know you can learn and grow in the things of God? Did you know you and I can actually be ready in season and out of season? And I'll tell you, a big part of my leadership of this church is teaching everybody how to function during the out-of-season period, where we enjoy it, where we're faithful in it, where whatever we find our hand to do, we do, and we do it with all our might. Good is the enemy of better, better is the enemy of best. I'm always on a quest for excellence, not perfectionism, because that's not realistic, but excellence is a hallmark of the kingdom of God. And we're to excel in the love walk and excel in the faith life and excel, pursue love, but desire earnestly spiritual gifts that we could have a word of knowledge when needed. We could have a word of edification when necessary, that we don't let any unwholesome word proceed from our mouth, but only such a word is, as is edifying for the need of the moment. God wants to deliver us from harshness and give us guidance he wants to activate us, hallelujah. He's looking, his eyes are looking to and fro throughout the whole earth to find someone whose heart is his that he may strongly support you. And I remember how overwhelmed we were when we had four kids and we were pioneering this church. We started this church virtually within days of having our third child, Addison, who was our praise and worship leader today. Then when the flood of 93 hit, uh, Kingston was just a young, young baby. And we had so much a multiplied responsibility. In addition to the Friday and Sunday services, which we just started, we just named it St. Louis Family Church in 92. And then 93, we came into this building and we just got hit with challenges and it was mind numbing. And for us, it was such a turbulence. We were actually victims of a natural disaster. So we felt the collective body of our church felt this and we felt the feelings of the infirmities of our neighbors and our hearts we're not broken for us in self-pity because we knew we'd do okay because we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken. We were not in self-pity. We were not really victims, actually. We were victors, and we had such a rich understanding of that that we walked into it with, we are more than conquerors. Say that with me. We are more than conquerors. In all these things, you're overwhelmingly conquered. And I know I'm speaking to people who you've gone through, you've lost jobs. Some of you have had bad diagnosis and alarming symptoms in your body. Some of you, you know, you've looked at trying to figure out what are we going to, how are we going to school our kids and how are we going to do the homework and all that kind of stuff. God is, I'm going to tell you, he's going to help us because he's a very present help in trouble. He is abundantly available to help in a tight place. This poor man cried. What did the Lord do? He delivered him out of all of his troubles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. How many of you have had God touch your marriage? Let me see your hands if you've had God touch your marriage. How many of you have watched God heal your finances? Let me see you. How many of you have watched God answer your prayers? Who in here has had a whole household saved? Let me see your hands. Who's believing God for your whole household to be saved? Lydia's whole household was saved, and just right after that, 
all of the Philippian jailer's household was saved. Two scriptures, two witnesses show that God can save whole households. You and your household shall be saved. Let's use our faith for our whole household. Even third cousins twice removed that we're not even proud of or don't even want to know about. Saved. Everybody say saved. Now, I love that Jacob's ladder, don't you? And I, I want you to see in three areas of scripture, Matthew 3.16. Let's look at this. Jesus, when he was being baptized in the Jordan, who baptized him? John, very good. Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, what was up? The heavens were opened. Everybody say Yahoo. The heavens were opened and what else? He saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. This is the carpenter who hadn't seen one miracle yet, who hadn't stepped out in one sermon yet, who hadn't had the Sermon on the Mount, hadn't fed the 5,000, hadn't seen the, the blind eyes open or the lepers healed or the deaf hear. But yet God was pleased with him in his essential obedience of leading a quiet life, working with his own hands, serving. There's so much value in the simplicity of yieldedness to God. There's so much power in a yielded life. There's so much anointing and power and substance when we're just out there in our workaday lives. This is where the devil tries to belittle us and he tries to get it all segmented and compartmentalized. Well, this is your church time where you yell and shout and this is where the gifts operate and then you go out and you're kind of wait until the next service. No, services are to equip us so we can have the larger kingdom duties of going in all the world and making Jesus known and watching signs and wonders follow and developing interesting conversation in our particular social connection. You know, we're talking about social distancing now and quarantine, but, you know, eventually we're going to be able to resume, and I want you to be heightened in your awareness that each one of us has a footprint. Each one of us has a... What's the word for it? A sphere of influence. Each one of us has relationships, has interconnectivity. Each one of us has unique credibility. Each one of us is different from the other. That's why it's so essential and critical that we don't compare ourselves among ourselves. That we were born so original that the last thing God wants us to do is copy and imitate and, and as a pastor, I am not looking to the left or the right with what is the recent church um, fad of church leadership. What, what, what are, what's the new model? What's the new thing? And I hear all this and I think, I, I, can, I don't have the energy or the time to do that when I'm trying so desperately to hear what the Lord wants for our, me as an individual and for us as a family and for us as a church body. What would you have us do, Lord? What, here am I, send me, is what Isaiah said. But he wasn't trying to copy Moses or David. He was trying to figure out what God wanted for him. And he was distinctly different in his range of responsibilities than Jeremiah or Ezekiel. And they cooperated with heaven. They cooperated with heaven. So teach us to number our days, Lord, because there, why? There's an open heaven. There was for Jacob. There was for Jesus. Look at this verse. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. Mark chapter 1, verse 10. So you get these, you get, you get this. 
Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. See, immediately coming up out of the waters. Maybe before he could wipe the water from his eyes, he looked up and a voice came from heaven. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now that you got to Mark 110, I hear the page is just stopping. Now go to Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Luke chapter 3, verse 21. Now, when the people were baptized, Jesus was also baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was open. While he was praying, heaven was open. I wasn't familiar with this verse, and now I am, that the heavens were as brass in the Old Testament. Because people always say the heavens are brass. Well, you know, I'm telling you, they weren't brass, meaning it just didn't bounce back like a rubber ball and bounce back on the people. We have, we have an open heaven. Now, so if you want to know the theology of this, he said he would pour out his Holy Spirit. Now, this is the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. The reference to Jacob, bear with me now, in the Old Testament was he saw a ladder and the heaven opened and angels ascending and descending descending and ascending, and then the, the Lord speaking to him, and so I'm going to give you the land. And then we see the heavens open over Jesus' ministry. Did you know in Acts chapter 2, we see the heavens open over our ministry, over the early church. And they're in the upper room, and they're praying. In fact, similarly to this verse, when Jesus was praying, he saw the heavens open. It was in a context of that upper room of prayer, that upper room of prayer, where the possibilities of God, the rushing mighty wind came in to, I think, a very still, lack of circulation, musky, you know, they didn't have air conditioning then, they didn't have fans really, electric, they didn't have electric systems, so I think those rooms in Jerusalem, they just were kind of maybe just tight and kind of uncomfortable, but, not, but all of a sudden, there came from heaven like the sound of a rushing mighty wind. What happened? God busted a hole through their, their previous ceiling of conviction. The, ce the glass ceiling broke and the presence of the Lord came in and distributed fire. You shall be filled with the Holy Spirit and fire. You'll be baptized in fire. And the early church went out in a new dimension. Immediately they heard the gospel in their own language. Now that was a fantastic time. The beginning of the church age, the inception of the church, the book of Acts, is absolutely striking. How fantastic God used Peter and Paul and the others to go in and advance the gospel into places like Thessalonica or Rome or Corinth. And God brought, added to the church in Jerusalem, 3,000 in one day were baptized. And, and God was adding to the church daily those who were being saved. They continually devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of bread, and to prayer. They even had a quarantine for a while. Their first Easter was behind closed doors. They didn't have festivities. We didn't have festivities this year. They didn't have festivities that year. But they had Jesus. We had Jesus. We had the resurrection just as much as if we had the Easter egg hunt and the five services, the sunrise service, the extra music, the excitement, the enthusiasm. We still have that because we live under an open heaven. We live in a covenant inaugurated on better promises. We serve a resurrected Savior and better even than physical promised land. We have all the promises of God which are yes and amen. 
and this Holy Spirit is available for us today as it was in the early church. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Jacob said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not even know it. I appreciate his honesty. He didn't embellish it like, hey, man, I'm awesome. I, even Peter, you know, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, Lord, it's good that we're here. Let's make a tabernacle, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. <laughs> Jesus is like, Peter, come on. I love Peter, man. I love Peter. You bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be meat in my house. And he said, test me now in this. He said, see that I will open up the windows of heaven. Anything that will open up the windows of heaven, I'm all for when Jesus was praying, the, the windows of heaven opened. In the, in the early church, when they were praying, the windows of heaven opened up. Tithes and offerings, the windows of heaven open up. When we're having a conversation in the, under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and we've got an opportunity to, to advance the gospel and share the gospel with people, let's trust God that the heavens will open and God will confirm his word with signs and wonders and touch people's hearts and lives. Let's believe that God will be with our mouths afresh and we will become great at the harvest. The harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest will thrust forth laborers into the harvest field. My ambition, my passion as a pastor, as an equipping a Christian leader, is for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. The proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body, of the building up of itself in love. And if we, if we mark and value our time, teach us to number our days, and we become sensitive to our days, and we lift up our eyes and become discerning, and instead of letting the manipulative, spin-doctoring, editorializing, opinionated voices form our views. We seek first his kingdom, his righteousness. As thinking Christians, we get centered on the word of God, which is the true north. This is unchangeable. And then we follow the Holy Spirit, which is the magnetic north. And I read recently that that's base, the basis of magnetic north is, is based on the magma underneath the Earth's crust that gently moves up around Canada and up toward Russia. So then, therefore, there's a movement in the magnetic polarity. There's a movement, but there's no movement with the fixed polar north. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will not pass away. It's forever settled in heaven, and his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And when we're doers of the word and not just hearers only, we build our foundation on a solid rock. So when the winds blow and the rains come and the waves crash, our house stands. All other ground is sinking sand. That's why I think we're going to see more people come to Christ greater harvest of souls, great conviction in the hearts of people, but it's got to come into the, the equippers. It's got to come into the warriors. It's got to come into the prayer people. It's got to come into the church body. It's got to come into our mindsets so that we'd be renewed in the spirit of our mind. We'd be inspired today. We'd get on fire today. We'd be stirred today. We'd recognize, hey man, Jesus started his ministry. It was with an open heaven. That's pretty fantastic. 
And as it is with the head of the church, so it is with the church. Oh, and then at the book of Acts. Okay, the heavens opened again and the winds blew, right? They heard a rushing mighty wind. Sometime you need to go on a date with somebody and go to the, the basilica. And that's when I saw this um, just amazing art in that basilica of all the uh, mosaics from, from like 125 years. And they even got Lewis Comfort Tiffany and then, then the Tiffany Company. You could walk in and go, wow, these colors seem to be from the 1930s. I went with my son Kingston. I said, I think this is from the 1930s. We looked at the plaque, Lewis Comfort Tiffany, and it was this certain time. Uh, 1905 was one of them. It looked like the, it looked like the Art Nouveau thing. And then it's like, wow. But then there's one in the 70s. A family of artisans put up these tiles of Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost. And I could not take my eyes off it. I felt sorry for those Catholic priests when they preach because I would be like, looking at all the cartoons up in the ceiling. That's what I would do. And I was looking at these, and these guys were all in a prayer meeting in the upper room and fire was distributed on their head. It's glorious. It's inspiring. I needed that visual. I'm a visual learner. So I looked at that, amen, wow. But yet now I'm also walking by faith. Even though I'm a visual learner, I walk by faith and not by sight. So I, in fact, don't need that right now. You can look at it with the eye of faith and realize, you know, with God opening heaven for Jacob and God opening heaven for Jesus and God opening heaven for the early church and God opening heaven for any tither and God opening heaven in prayer meetings, there's an open heaven and there's access to the throne of grace. Unless you get confused about this, that we're to draw near with confidence to the throne of grace and obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So in fact, there's always a new and living way in our access to the throne room and into the very presence of God. And we could actually enjoy tight, close, consistent walk with him as we sensitize ourselves and train ourselves to walk with him to know the master's voice. He said in John 10, my sheep know my voice. The voice of a stranger, they will not follow. That's why when it says, see to it that no one deceives you, that means we have the capacity to, to resist and to identify and to prevent deception coming into our lives. That's why as a pastor, I wanna be diligent to preach sound doctrine so that we're no longer tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and the trickery of men and cunning craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects into him. There's a growth potential in here. No matter what your successes or difficulties of the past, today's a new day. Teach us to number our days. These days are spent. These days are yet to happen. And this is my day today. This is a day of salvation. This is a day of an open heaven. This is a day where I have fellowship with God. This is a day where I have communion with the saints and I have communion with God the Father, His Son Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. This is where the blood of Jesus benefits me and cancels out my debt of sin. This is where His broken body means healing for me. It makes perfect sense to me that we're all here today and we made it this far. Who in here ever rode a motorcycle? Let me see your hands. You're a miracle that you made it. 
I saw a guy on the highway. I said, Patsy, it looks like he's on a lawn chair. And then his tire blew out right behind two tractor trailers right in front of us. I said, Patsy, I'm so glad he didn't lay that bike down and I didn't run over him. And she said, me too. We prayed in the spirit for about 15 miles. He got out there, me, me, and then pop. And I thought it was backfiring his motor. His tire blew out. He got off. He was okay. Rickety little, hey, man. I'm riding a lawn chair, and he had a sleeveless shirt. I thought, do you know what? And shorts. Now, there are two words I want to give you. One is Greek, and one is Hebrew. The word kairos, kairos, is a Greek word that's different from chronos. Chronos is the root word for chronology. Now, I have a chronological age. My marriage has chronological time. But in my life, I've had kairos moments where I've had amazing, purposeful God moments happen in my life. And they're rare. Most of our life is chronological time. Most of Jacob's life was chronological time. He had a moedim, a moed is the Hebrew word, and this is the appointed time. There's a an appointed time for everything, and there's a time for every event under heaven. Remember in Jesus' ministry, in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, the time, the kairos, God-purpose-specific, synchronized time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. I would say, I'd venture to say that the upper room moment was a precision, calibrated perfect time frame for God and that at that moment where 120 gathered in the rented upper room there was a tremendous purposeful moment where God according to the prophet Joel hundreds of years prior prophesied that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all flesh boom open heaven and there's still an open heaven over the church and there's still an open heaven over you and when you go in remember when he prayed there was an open heaven when they prayed there was an open heaven this is a great invitation for us to become aware. There's an open heaven right now. God is present here. But like Jacob said, God was here and I didn't even know it. Some of the greatest miracles in my life happened when I didn't even really go into it knowing it was going to be miraculous. That's why he gets all the glory then. This is not human manufactured. It doesn't make you go away and go, I am so gifted by God. You know, it's like, what? God just used me and I felt like a bag of hammers going into it. And yet, I followed that subtle prompting of the Holy Spirit and got a supernatural result. Gideon goes in there and he's like, if God really loved us, why did all this happen? And this angel's going, you valiant warrior, you're going to go whoop, put a whooping on the Amalekites. He's like, I'm the least in my father's house and we're the, from the wrong side of the track. He's canceling out what God's saying to him. And God keeps saying, you valiant warrior, go in this your strength. What was it, his murmuring? Was it his pessimism that was his strength? No, it was the strength coming from God sent toward him saying, you're a valiant warrior and I'm gonna deliver you with Midian like through one man. Same thing with Abraham. You're so past childbearing, you and Sarah, that it's gonna be miraculous, nothing but miraculous that you have a child who then will have a child who will then be a nation and then through that nation the Messiah will come and then the, even the Gentiles will get saved and there'll be something called the church that will form out of it and that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it and through one man, your life matters, your prayers matter, 
we as a collective matter. That's what I missed of the four months we couldn't be together. But what strengthened me was we were yet together. It gave me reinforcement, did it you? That we're the body of Christ, man. And we are together. And now we get to physically be together. And it's unusual time. It's unusual. There are countries where people had to go underground even today. This was a moment for us. So here we are now in this moment. So we recognize our times. Issachar's race understood the times. And uh, we don't need to produce conjecture. We don't need to run to the internet and find out what the 50,000 opinions are. We need to go to the presence of the Lord and go into the word and say, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying in this moment? I know your voice. I don't have to anxiously look about me. I could hear from you. I have the mind of Christ. And I'm going to go with the essentials. I'm going to receive the elements in a worthy manner. I'm going to honor the body of Christ. You're doing great things throughout the church world. It's coming alive. You're doing great things throughout the lost world. They're coming out of the valley of decision, and they're coming to Jesus. And all the other mindsets and ideologies are, are just unfortunate. But Jesus, there is a God who reveals, and he's faithful, and he's the Lord of the harvest. And the harvest is plenteous. It's white unto harvest. And the laborers are coming up in understanding the fellowship they have with God. The Lord was here and I didn't even know it. Following those subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit will prove to be very great. Letting the Lord lead you. And I'm not talking about being spooky or mystical. And I'm not talking about being pushy or fretful. I'm just talking about yielding, following God, staying in the word, praying, being quick to repent, forgiving everybody, even praying for your enemies. If you find yourself holding groups in contempt and getting polarized, catapult over those biases and pray for them. Trust God until you feel peaceful and caring for them and pray for them and love them. And, and anybody that agitates you or vexes you, get on it in prayer. The Bible says for the Christians, we're to pray for those who persecute us and pray for those who despitefully use us and leave room for the wrath of God. Right? Heavenly Father, we give you all the honor, the praise. We recognize you put such a lavish investment into your people. Teach us to number our days. May we know what is the hope of your calling, what are the riches of the glory of your inheritance and the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of the power that works toward us who believe. Now, Jesus, I ask for vital stirrings in every woman and man in this room. Lord, I pray the touch of the Holy Spirit in each person's life. And through the laying on of hands, I pray a kindling afresh of that enthusiasm, of that singularity of focus, of that fresh rededication. If there's anyone here who has not surrendered their life to Jesus Christ, today would be the day of salvation. And God, I ask that they would come to know you. I pronounce that conviction and that repentance. I pray they would be so tender toward you and just say yes to Jesus. Just say yes. Jesus is Lord. Be my Lord. Come into my heart. God, help me to follow you. Help me to walk with you. Teach me your ways. Teach me to number my days. Now, Lord, I thank you for your broken body, which is healing for me. I'll live out my days with joy 
Thank you for your shed blood, which covers all my sins. Thank you for new beginnings. There's actually new beginning only in Jesus Christ. There's no hope for a new beginning except then only in Jesus. But in Jesus, be assured of this. He makes all things new. Your past is past. It don't, no longer governs you. You're a new creature. From this point now, you can get anywhere from here. Lord, I pray that you bring that destiny and that original purpose to bear in each person's life. That they'll be where they need to be when they need to be there by the grace of God. Order our steps, Lord. Now, God, as we stand praying, we forgive, we bear no ill will, and we receive your mercy.